We give glory and honor to God for granting us this opportunity to share with you. This is Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. Welcome, dear listeners, to this promising session of the New Life Program. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. Lydia Aching is on standby with the Family Life segment today. She will talk about surviving a crisis. Pastor Kigundu Ndike will also be joining us during the Bible session to talk about spiritual living. Advent Homecoming Ensemble will now start us off with the song, Wateule Furahi. Enjoy. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. It's now time for the family of segment to join me as I welcome Lydia Aching. Be blessed. 
Hello dear listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. I'm your presenter Lydia Aching. Today we'll talk about surviving a crisis. Crisis is a part of married life, no matter how much we wish it weren't. And when a husband and wife have been together for a long time, it's inevitable that they've had their share of tough times. Such crises, for example, health problems, financial trials, struggles with a child can eat away at the foundation of any marriage. Sadly, more and more these days the result is a couple just going through the motions of married life or even divorce. It doesn't have to be that way, however. While crises are unavoidable, marital collapse is not. By pulling together and continuing to honor each other and especially leaning on God for wisdom, comfort, strength, and provision, trials can be endured with the relationship intact. In fact, the marriage can do more than just survive. It can come out of the experience even more solid and secure than it was before. The Bible tells us that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And for that reason, we should all expect and prepare for the storms of life to hit our marriages. So how do we prepare for a crisis so the foundation of our marriage doesn't weaken and crumble? Here's what Donald Harvey writes on surviving crises. Every couple faces things they'd prefer to avoid. Job losses, severe illnesses, financial reversals, deaths of close family members and many other such events. These storms of life place immense stress on us and they also test our marriages. When crisis strikes, some couples not only weather the storm, they emerge stronger and more united than before. Others struggle through the pain and some marriages are destroyed by the crisis. So what makes the difference? Mostly comes down to what spouses do during the crisis itself. Do they give comfort and support to each other or do they withdraw emotionally or cast blame? Do they allow friends or family members to extend support or do they isolate themselves from outside help? Do they cling to a spiritual life or do they rely instead on their own understanding and abandon their faith? How you react during a crisis is important for the survival of your marriage, but the real battle is won or lost before the crisis occurs. Marriages that survive share at least three characteristics. First, the couples are committed to marriage as a sacred institution. Their commitment brings stability and provides staying power even during the most severe setbacks. Every marriage needs this resilience, but true survival requires more than simply bedrock commitment to an institution. If this is the only characteristic working in a marriage's favor, the relationship can easily become lifeless and devoid of emotion. Second, survivors are committed to marriage as a relationship. I have friends whose daughter was severely depressed, even suicidal. We felt so helpless, John told me. When things were at their darkest, my wife Pam and I found ourselves holding each other tight. Through tears, I told her things may get a lot worse for us, but we'll survive even if it does. John was telling Pam he loved her, no matter what might happen. He was committed to more than the institution of marriage. He was committed to his wife, Pam. For more than 20 years, John and Pam practiced being sensitive to one another's needs. They had guarded their relationship against time pressures and striving for material success. And they had practiced mutuality, 
giving and receiving in roughly equal measure over the years. They shared a goal of looking for and doing whatever was in the best interest of their relationship, even if it meant sacrificing some personal comfort. John and Pam survived the pain of their daughter's depression, and their marriage was made even stronger because of it. There's a third characteristic that enable couples to weather the big storms of life, a vital faith and commitment to God. Vital faith appreciates the big picture. Life doesn't operate according to our agenda. Pain comes to everyone, and we learn some of the greatest truths from things we wouldn't choose for ourselves. God uses personal experiences to develop our ability to deal with the crisis of life. By learning to trust him in the little storms, we are prepared to trust him in the big ones. Married Christians have to guard against Teflon mentality. That is an exception that pain, stress, and hardship can't really touch us but will magically slide off. It's true that Christians aren't of the world, but we are definitely in it. We do feel pain and stress, but we don't have to be overwhelmed by them. Please know that God cares through the good times and the bad times. This material was provided by Marriage Missions International. Thank you. Until next time, God bless you. We appreciate those who have given us the thoughts concerning this program. We are here just for you. For those who have never communicated to us, you can start today by writing to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 422-76-00-100, Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awinairobi at ek.adventist.org. Here's the song, We'll Be Ready When He Comes, by Advent Homecoming Ensemble.
Looking forward to the Bible segment. Join me as I welcome Pastor Kigondo Ndwiga. Dear listener, today we'll talk about spiritual living. Most of us are very comfortable living in our hometown among our own people. But what happens when we are placed in a foreign country with a language and culture unfamiliar to us? Many people become confused, anxious, and even depressed. The name for this condition is culture shock. Culture shock occurs when we find ourselves in surroundings completely new to us. Familiar customs no longer apply and many things must be learned. Becoming a Christian can be a culture shock as we find ourselves having to learn to live by the Spirit. After living so much of our lives in the physical world, we must now learn to live in the spiritual. Now, the Bible describes man as a living soul existing in a body and having a spirit. Our bodies connect us to the physical material world, while our spirit is our link to God and the spiritual world. Our soul, which includes our mind, emotions, and will, is influenced both by our body and our spirit. All men are born with a sinful nature, but Christians are born again by God with a new nature and possess the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible, it describes three kinds of people in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 to chapter 3 verse 3. The first category or the first group of people is the non-Christian. The non-Christian is the one who does not have Christ or eternal life. His life is dominated by the sinful nature. That life is influenced by Satan and the world. He has no fellowship with God. He is an enemy of God and is unable to live a life that is pleasing to God. So the non-Christian does not have Christ in his life and is spiritually separated from God. His essential nature is sinful and because of this, he is strongly influenced by the world and Satan. He is an enemy of God and cannot please him. The non-Christian is described in scripture as being dead in sin. He is without God's life and is destined for the second death. That is the eternal separation with God. Then there is the spiritual Christian. The spiritual Christian has Christ and eternal life. His life is dominated by Christ. His life is also influenced by God and his word. He is a child of God. He has fellowship with God and he lives a life that is pleasing to God. So the spiritual Christian has Christ in his life and is spiritually alive to God. His essential nature is spiritual and is strongly influenced by God and his word. He is a child of God and pleases God with his life. He has learned to live by faith and yields his life to God. He is filled with the spirit of God and empowered by him to resist the influences of the world, Satan, and the weaknesses of the sinful nature. But we have the third category whom we'll call the worldly Christian. This Christian has Christ and eternal life, but his life is dominated by sinful nature. 
His life is influenced by Satan and the world. He is a child of God, but unfortunately, he has no fellowship with God, and he is living a life that is not pleasing to God. Christian has Christ in his life and his spiritual alive to God, though the Spirit of God resides in him. He lives according to the sin nature, opening himself to the influence of the world and Satan. He is a child of God, but unfortunately, he does not please God with his life. The world Christian is often a new or young Christian who is not living by faith or yielding his life to God. Well, on the other hand, he may be an older Christian who has chosen to live according to the lust of the sinful nature, opening himself up to the influences of the world and Satan. Now, remember, a Christian who continually lives in sin may not be a true Christian at all, and that is recorded in 1 John 2 verse 3 to 6. So I want to ask you a question. Which person best represents your life? If you are the non-Christian, please receive Christ and let him fill your life. If you are a world Christian, please kindly allow Christ to fill your life. Now, spiritual growth occurs as we yield more of our lives to Christ until he fills every part, will, mind, emotions, and body. As we grow spiritually, we move from being predominantly worldly in our lifestyle to being spiritual. So the first thing, our wills must be filled with Christ. When you read Luke 22 verse 42, Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. In Luke 22 verse 42, Jesus prays that if his father were willing, he be somehow spared the suffering awaiting him on the cross. But he yields his will to his father. Why? Because he is convinced that God is all-wise, all-knowing, and all-loving, and that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. But if we are to grow, our emotions must also be filled with Christ. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Our emotions can be one of the most difficult areas of our lives to control. Feelings are often so dependent on circumstances which can change unexpectedly, but we can experience God's emotion as we yield our lives to Him and live moment by moment in the Spirit. But not only that, our minds must be filled with Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 12 verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word conform means to be squeezed in a mold. We must resist being squeezed in the mold of the world's values and patterns. Instead, we are to be transformed. The Greek word for transformation is metamorphosis, or changed from the inside through the renewing of our minds. But that is not all. Our bodies also must be filled with Christ. Romans 12 verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In Romans chapter 1 to 11, Paul describes God's incredible plan of salvation by which he imparts his righteousness upon all who believe in his Son. Part of his plan includes the impartation of his Spirit in us to enable us to know and fulfill his will. 
Now, in Romans 12 verse 1, Paul draws the logical conclusion to this truth. So the only way to live the Christian life is living through faith. Therefore, faith is the only way. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul says, We live by faith, not by sight. You see, in the physical world, we live by our physical senses. Sight, touch, hearing, taste, and smell. But now, how do we live in the spiritual realm while still in the physical body? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 provides us with a concise answer. We live by faith. We all live by faith every day. We must trust people around us and a multitude of things to get us through the day. Now, Christians must learn to trust God and depend on Him as the source of all their needs. Christians must discipline themselves to trust God's words and not their feelings. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So I want you to make the following affirmation with me. 1. Christ lives in me. 2. My life belongs to God. 3. I am empowered by Christ. 4. I trust Christ with my life. If you have made those affirmations, offer this prayer after me. Dear Lord, you have given me life through your Spirit in me. Fill me completely with the Spirit of Christ. I yield my mind, emotions, will, and body to you that your life may penetrate every area of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. It has been nice having your company. In case you have any views, comments, or questions about the show, kindly write to the producer, Adventist World Radio, PO Box 42276, code 00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Email us through awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Until next time, I have been your host, friend and presenter Samuel Mangi. Stay safe, stay blessed. Thank you.
Thank you.